0: Couldn't stop it. They missed it. They missed a chance to respond to you. I pray that we wouldn't miss our chance to respond to you with the worship, the love, the adoration you deserve. And so as we look at your word this morning, we want to respond to it with a spirit of worship, bowing the knee for you the mighty God, and you've sent your son to be king. Thank you, and help us understand your word better this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> From the video, you might think that the wise men were a little bit foolish, because clearly they believed Herod, but in the video, Herod should have like twirled his mustache a few times to add to the effect, shouldn't he, you know? Never trust a politician with a mustache like that. You know, that's not... You don't do that. You don't do that. Uh, But for all of the menace that obviously exudes from Herod's personality in the video, the the wise men really were deluded. They, They really didn't understand. They were fooled. Herod put on a good act. Now, of course, everybody else in Jerusalem knew exactly who Herod was. A ruthless king appointed by Rome because... He knew how to work the political system. But you get in his way and you die. You die. He had family members killed. He had his favorite wife killed, historians say. She must not have been his favorite at some point, but you know, historians say that's his favorite wife. And yes, he had her killed. A uh, Ruthless man. But the wise men apparently didn't know that. And so they bought into that And said, Yeah, we'll come back and we'll tell you. And they had to be warned not to go back to Herod because he wanted to kill the king that was born. So I want us to look at that story again uh, and uh, a very familiar one. So would you turn uh, to Matthew? First book of the New Testament. And we'll be right there in verse 1. Matthew 2, verse 1. <clears throat> and in Matthew 2, 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one that's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, Where is the Christ to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet was written. But you, Bethlehem, <clears throat> in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. and of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now, this, is, uh, this Sunday is a candle preparation. And one of the ways we prepare for Christ is in worship. I-, I believe the story of the Magi is a story of worship. I believe Matthew wants you to see worship in that chapter. Why do I say that? Why do I think worship is a big deal with the Magi and Herod? A a few reasons. Here's some of them. Here's some of the reasons I think Matthew wants us to notice this. A. The word worship, which in Greek is proskoneo, literally means to bow down, to worship. It's frequently used of worshiping God, but sometimes it's also used of bowing down to humans. So I don't know this. I, I don't know if the wise men were worshipping Jesus because he is God. I, I don't know that. The word is broad enough to mean worshipping a deity, worshipping God, or, or worshipping or in the sense of bowing down in reverence to a person. So when Cornelius sees Peter in Acts, the book of Acts, he bows down, he does proskuneo to Peter. But I don't think Cornelius was thinking Peter is God and I'm worshiping him right now. I don't think that's the point of that passage. But then other places it says the angels bow down and they worship. They proskuneo. And of course that has to mean they recognize God for who he is. He is God and we worship him. So the word is broad. Broad enough to be something you do to God or something you do to a king or an important person. So be... It makes sense that the Magi bow down to a king in reverence. But, even if they don't understand Jesus' identity, his deity, then they worship better than what they know. Okay, see, see where I'm going with that? E- even if they've come and they've traveled far, and, and, and they arrive and, and they bow down and offer these gifts, and maybe they just think this is an amazing king who actually has a star in the sky even if they don't understand who Jesus really is as far as God, the Son of God, then what they're doing is still important, it's just deeper than what they know. They know he's a king. He's actually the king that is God. So so worship is still at the center of what Matthew is trying to show us here. Uh, C. Matthew contrasts Herod's false worship with the Magi's, Genuine worship. Of course, that's Herod saying, uh, pardon me while I twirl my mustache, go and go find that king, and then when you find him, come tell me, I want to go worship him too. I want to go worship. I want to do proskuneo to this king. Same word. I want to join you. And Herod thought he had so fooled the wise men that certainly he didn't have to go with them. He didn't send a spy or a guard or anything like that. He just totally believed the wise men would go, do their worship, come back and tell him. But clearly we know Herod's worship is a false, murderous, evil kind of bowing. It's fake. It's not real. The Magi's, on the other hand, is genuine. They're for real. They're the real deal. Again, you see... The the, the comparison here that Matthew wants you to notice. Uh, D, Bethlehem is just down the road. In the video you heard, it's about ten miles away. You're almost there. Compared to the distance the Magi traveled, revealing the apathy of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. So, the Magi, we think they probably came from Persia, maybe Babylon... They could have traveled anywhere from 500 to 1,000 miles. When you're in a caravan, you tend to meander. And, and caravans are the safest way to travel. You know That's why they kind of said some, some are good, some are bad. You know, just Trips are different. But probably being important men, they probably traveled with a group. They probably meandered their way over to Jerusalem. And then they show up and they're like, we're ready to worship. Where's the king? The religious leaders hear about this and they know where the king is supposed to be born. They tell Herod. Herod doesn't know. He's not really Jewish. So the religious leaders say, actually, yeah, it's Bethlehem. That's where, that's where the Messiah is supposed to be born. Ten miles away. Ten miles away. And the religious leaders couldn't be bothered to go check it out. They couldn't be bothered and yet the Magi came from 500, maybe 1,000 miles, you're talking at the very least a couple months' trip, maybe much longer, but at least a couple months' traveling. And, and you can't go down the road a day's j- journey to see him? Again, the, the worship is incredibly different between the Magi, who are, 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 from the video you saw, stargazers. I mean, you know... Looking at the stars and seeking meaning in the stars is something that the Old Testament kind of looks down upon. And yet God chose to reveal himself to the Magi. And the religious leaders have the Old Testament in its entirety. And they can't go down the road. Again, the worship is astounding in this passage. Next. Next. The Magi gave costly gifts, gifts fit for a king, which was the custom of the time. But they didn't bring them to Herod, the Rome-appointed king, but to Jesus, the king by birth. So you notice when the Magi come into Jerusalem, they say, we're looking for the one that's been born king. Not, Not the one who will be appointed king at some future time. He's been born king. He's in the line of David. He is born the king. Right now, that's who he is. Even as a baby, he is king. And we didn't come for you, Herod. That's not what they say, but that's what they mean. We're not here for Herod. We're here for this baby that's been born, the king. And the gifts, gifts are normal. I mean, when you go see royalty, you bring a gift with you. But the Magi didn't bring anything for Herod. They brought everything for Christ. Again, the worship is very different here. Now, um, much has been written about the three gifts that the Magi brought. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I I mean, there's a lot of things said about that and what the meaning of the gifts are. Obviously, they're expensive gifts. And I think a lot of the, when we talk about worship, when we talk about the Magi, when when, when we talk about these gifts, I think the emphasis tends to be on the the giving that they gave to Christ. And that's not a bad thing to look at. But I want to ask you a question this morning. It's a heart question. If if part of preparing for Jesus is is worshiping Him, if, if we're getting ready, if this is a rehearsal for heaven, which I believe it is, we, we are rehearsing for the worship we're going to give Him in eternity, if part of preparing for Jesus' second coming is worship, which which it is, <clears throat> When you go to church on a Sunday morning, do you come to give or do you come to receive? What does your heart tell you when you walk in on a Sunday morning? When you wake up on Sunday morning, do you feel you're primarily coming here to give or to receive? Now, obviously, both things happen. On a Sunday morning, but what's better? What's the greatest? I want to answer that question based on this passage and, and based on what I believe the Bible teaches consistently. And I want to do it by talking about vending machines. <clears throat> um, vending machines. Vending machines. You put the money in, you push the buttons, and the candy or the chips or the whatever, the little thing spins and the thing comes out and falls down and you you get what you want. Many of you will be traveling this time of year and you'll probably make a rest stop and you'll use a vending machine. How many of you have ever put your money into the vending machine, pushed the buttons, and the thing started spinning, but it didn't drop out? Yeah. This is a real problem. This is a real problem. <laughs> now, be honest, my next question's even harder. How many of you shook the machine? Yes. Yes, you did. You did. How many of you looked for a camera before you shook the machine? <laughs> okay. All right. All right. <clears throat> yeah. Don't go gambling, okay? <laughs> OK. <laughs> don't do that. All right. Um, <clears throat> how many of you have put the money in and the candy or the chips or the gum falls out, but you don't get your change back? Anybody? Does that happen to you? Yeah, that happens too. Um, I've shaken the machine. I've been ripped off of money. I've got a solution. It's brilliant. Watch this. You go up to the vending machine. You push the buttons that you want. B, 12, chips fall out. And then I put my money in. After the machine's proven it can supply the demand. Right? Would that work? Probably not. Some of you are honest enough that it would work. Probably, hopefully, many of us are honest enough that it would work. Hopefully. But I don't think that would work because human nature being what it is, we'd push the buttons, the, the candy would fall, oh, I got my Skittles, and out the door we go. Or at least a lot of people would do that, and the and, and vending machines would lose money, and then they wouldn't be there in the first place. <clears throat> but, when it comes to worship, I think we have things in reverse often of why we come here to praise God. God has a reverse vending machine going on here. Okay, it, it, It's all in reverse. He gives. You receive. And then you give him worship. What I'm saying is, when you get up in the morning and you're saying, I'm putting my shoes on to go to church, I'm putting my coat on, out the door we go, you go to receive. That's what I'm saying. You go to receive. Now I'm actually surprised I'm saying that because I've been thinking about this a lot this week and trying to come to a biblical answer. I didn't really have an answer earlier on in the week, but, but I wanted to answer this question. Do I come to receive or do I come to church primarily to give? Which one is it? And I believe, biblically speaking, you primarily come to church to receive. Now, Here's what I'm not saying as all your alarms go off. I'm not saying this. I've come to church to receive the style of worship that I prefer most. I'm not saying that. I come to church and the sermon better be a good one. I'm not saying that. I come to church and they better have a ministry tailored to me. I'm not saying that. I come to church and the youth pastor better be best buddies with my kid. For real. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that there's this demand that we give, like, give me, give me, give me. Like, the church better do for me whatever I want it to do, otherwise I'm going down the road. I'm not saying that. That's consumerism. It has infiltrated the church. I believe that's true. We church shop, which doesn't sound right any way you say it, because then it's like, what can you do for me? What I'm trying to say is this. Like the person on the trip, I I knew a couple that got married around Christmas, and uh, all the stores were closed, so they had to go to a vending machine to eat. For real, that happened. Um, I'm saying that like the vending machine, you go to church hungry. That's what I'm saying. You go to church hungry. Give me the bread of life. Give me a meeting with the Lord. I'm ready to receive. And because you've received, you give. Okay? We give because we've received. That's what I'm saying. You come to receive. You come hungry. You need The presence of God, you need the truth of God, you need Him to fill you up, and that's why you've gathered with the people of God. Give, Lord, give, and I'm ready to receive. Now let me defend that biblically, since I've said it and tried to explain what I mean, and what I don't mean. I'm not advocating consumerism in the church. I'm not saying, open up the bulletin, and how does this church help me? It's, I want to meet with the Lord, and I can't wait to receive what He has for me this morning. Okay. Uh, A. Let me see if I can defend this. And this is in your notes. You can write this down. Uh, Take notes as we go. A. The wise men received the revelation from God, the star of Bethlehem. They received... Okay, there's no 500 mile, 1,000 mile journey without the star in the sky. They had to have the star. God revealed himself. Some people think because Daniel was in Babylon, that there was such a Jewish presence in Babylon, that that the Magi, the wise men, now hundreds of years later, had those Jewish writings and were reading them. And maybe they read the book of Numbers, if we could put that up. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter, meaning king, will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the sons of Sheth. This is a ruler who crushes his enemies. He has a scepter, and there's a star in the sky to designate his kingship. Probably, I would not be surprised if we find out one day that the Magi read that. And they understood that there would be a star in the sky to designate this king. Please get this. There's no magi coming from the east without God saying, look, I've put a star in the sky, follow it. God acted first. And then they left. Um, What we do in coming to worship is respond to how good God has been. Why wouldn't you want to show up and worship Him? Why wouldn't you? No matter what church you're a part of, if it's a gospel-preaching, solid, biblically church, why wouldn't you go and worship Him? Uh, B, worship is something we intentionally give to God, and it's called a sacrifice of praise. So I want to acknowledge something here on on part B. There's a very real sense in in which we do come to church to give. We give a sacrifice of praise. Uh, We could put up the Hebrews passage for that if you want to see it up there. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess His name. We're the fruit. Our praise is the fruit. He started it. We give Him praise. Don't forget to do good and to share with others for which such sacrifices God is pleased Now, of course, that means your worship is much more than Sunday morning. I hope you all realize that. It's it's the Monday through Saturday as well. As you're doing good and sharing to others, that is the sacrifice God requires of you, and you are giving it. You have come to give. Uh, Next passage out of Romans. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. When you obey God, when you say no to sin, you're worshiping Him. Right there in that moment, you didn't have to sing a song, you just had to say, no, I'm not doing that, and that was worship. Or you had to say, God, I'm going to obey you and love this person. And that's worship. And it's something that you give. I mean, I'm not trying to say worship's not about giving. It is about giving. We give. Clearly the Bible teaches that we give. But there's an attitude we need to have when we give. And that's part C. And this is what I want you to really understand. We worship because we first received from the Lord. We give worship because we first received from the Lord. That, that's how it works. Without God stepping towards you, you don't step towards Him. Um, Psalms can put the psalm up there. Uh, God says to Israel, "If I was hungry, which he's not, but if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it." God's like, "I own everything. I have no need of anything from you." So when you come to church and you give God worship, we, we talk about glorifying God. You don't add to His glory. His glory is His beauty, right? It's the beauty of his love, beauty of his holiness, the beauty of his peace, the beauty of his joy. That's his glory. It's all of his attributes and how beautiful they are. That's glory. But you don't don't get to add to that glory. You just get to sing about it, to talk about it, to think about it, to declare it. And he loves that, but you don't add to him. You don't add to the holiness of God. You don't add to the glory of God. He has everything he needs. Uh, Next passage. Um, Acts 17:28 says, "For in Him we live and move and you could insert in there, worship, and we have our being." As some of your own poets have said, "We're His offspring." In-, in God we live and move and worship and eat and drink and obey. We do all that in Him, because of Him. If you wanted a little more explicitly, it's in Philippians. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, including obedience of worshiping, giving the sacrifice of praise, but now, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. So, you you all know that verse, but I want you to apply that verse to worship. I lift my hands because God has moved in me to lift them. And for a Presbyterian guy, that's quite the confession, just so you know. Okay? Um, we, we lift them because He's moved in us to lift them. We, we sing because He's moved in us to sing. We obey because He's moved in us to obey. We share our faith because He's done this in us. It's, it's all on Him. He's done this. Now, I know we have to cooperate with Him and not quench the Spirit and submit ourselves to the Spirit, but He's moving in us. It's all based on His initiation in our life. We worship, we give worship because we've received power, the Holy Spirit, love from Him. He works in us. Um, A couple passages on other worship I want to kind of close with uh, as we kind of bring this in. We'll talk, I'll talk about that in just a second. Um, what I'm saying is, the Magi show up in Bethlehem, and by the way, of course, we do know this was after the whole manger scene thing. You know, even though the wise men are always there, it was, you know, a year or two later. Um, but they show up; they've traveled 500 to 1,000 miles. They bow down and they they give worship. And I know we focus on the gifts they give. The gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. Costly gifts. Gifts fit for a king. Good job, Magi. But, have have you ever thought to yourself, they had an audience with the king? They had an audience with the king. I mean, how far would you go to have an audience with the king? How far would you travel to have the moment of being face to face? It's not about what they gave. It's about what they received in that moment. They they received an audience with Christ. And we know other people in the Christmas story totally understand that. You know, the, the people in the temple that were waiting to see the baby. Remember them? And like to hold him. And like, God, you've done what you promised. I've been waiting for this moment. And for some reason we don't. Maybe focus on how the Magi had that moment. That moment of receiving from Christ. I know he was only a two-year-old or less, but still, that's amazing. It's amazing. Herod, on the other hand, wanted to cut off that life. He didn't understand. With all of his power, his prestige, his wealth... He didn't understand that the secret to truly leaving a legacy, the secret to total joy and happiness, that the secret to fulfillment in his life was not holding on to his power with a murderous rage. It was, bow your knee to the Son of God, the King of kings. Do that and you will receive, Herod. He thought he had already received from Rome. But he hadn't received from Christ. He missed it. He just missed it. Don't miss opportunities to receive from the Lord. That's one of the reasons why we encourage you to gather together on Sunday morning. Because we come to receive. You come hungry. Don't miss opportunities during the week to serve people. To say an encouraging word. To do good to somebody. Don't miss that. Because in that moment, even though you're giving, you are actually also receiving grace to do it. You're receiving. So, I love this verse. This This is one of those major verses on worship. If there ever is a verse on worship, this is one of the big ones. God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Let me apply this passage to what we've said this morning. None of you worship without God regenerating your spirit. You are dead in sin, and dead things don't praise God. Dead things don't praise God, but He made you alive in Christ, so now you can worship Him. Understand that. The only reason you can show up here and sing and mean it, is because He has made you alive in Christ. That ought to make you a little bit excited. Otherwise, you're staying home in bed. And I'm telling you that. There's more important things to do than sing and give worship if you are dead in your sins. But you are alive in Christ. The only reason you can worship in spirit is because he made you alive to worship in spirit. And then there's the truth part. We want to sing words of truth to God. If we're singing a worship song and it's not truthful, we can't sing it. But who's revealed the truth? How do we know who God is? Like when we sing a song like... uh, sovereign over us. How do you know He has control and has a plan over all of us? How can that be? Well, the Bible told you so. When you sing about His love, how do you know that? The Bible told you so. All the things we sing when we worship in truth are based on what we've received in the Word of God. You can't worship without Him revealing Himself first. It's always God first. You know that... um, I struggle with this verse trying to figure it out in my mind. The verse that says, uh, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It sounds like you move first and then he moves to you. But I just, just want to put it in context here. How in the world do you even know what to draw yourself to if there's no revelation of who he is? If you draw yourself close to Buddha, Buddha does not draw himself close to you because he's dead but if you draw yourself close to Jesus Christ, the one who's resurrected, he draws himself closer to you, and you know it's true because he's alive because the word told you. You can't draw close to God without him revealing himself. It's always him first. It's always us receiving and then responding. It's always that way. It's always that way. Finally, last verse. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His... Easy worship failed me. Oh my goodness, the last part. By His own glory and goodness. So sorry. He called us, and it's like my main point of the verse and it's not up there. Man! I just told Jim this morning when I was putting the slides together last night, stuff was disappearing, I didn't know why. I didn't, I didn't notice that. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness... Through our knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and goodness. Understand this. I want you to close with this thought. I glorify God because His glory called me to Himself. Okay? You glorify God because His glory called you to Himself. He was beautiful. You found out how beautiful and amazing He was. And then you, there it is. There it is. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Jim. It it called you. God said in a whisper, I'm amazing. I'm awesome. I love you. I'm glorious. There's no one like me. And at some point you said, that's true. I'm going to glorify God with my life now. I'm going to worship him. And it's all because His beauty drew you to Himself. Friends, we have a God that does the reverse vending machine. You know, He's given. He's, it, it just pours out. And then you start putting the money in. Here, let me praise you. Let me sing to you. Let me tell someone about you. Let me obey you. Let me And we push the buttons, but we just keep receiving every single day as mercies are new. That's the God we serve. So my encouragement to you, when you get up in the morning on Sunday morning, come hungry, come ready to receive. Die to yourself and all of your preferences because that's consumerism. But come hungry to meet with the living God. Come hungry to feast on the bread of life. That's why we're here. Let me pray. Jesus, You are the ultimate giver. None of us can match the gift that you have given us, that you've given us your life, that you would die for us, that you would purchase our salvation and our forgiveness. We've received your gift. We're so thankful. And so I want to pray for those right now that have heard all of these words. I pray that they would know that Jesus, you have died for them. I pray for those that haven't accepted that gift yet. And they're hearing about what a great giver you are this morning. I pray that they could put their hands out and receive it and say, Jesus, you died for me to pay for my sins. I pray this morning they might receive it for the very first time. And then spend the rest of their life receiving it. And the rest of their eternity receiving it. And then responding with praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.